God's word to us this morning begins in 2 Chronicles chapter 25. Beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jehoadan of Jerusalem. And he did right in the sight of Yahweh, yet not with a whole heart. Now it came about, as soon as the kingdom was firmly in his grasp, that he killed his servants who had slain his father the king. However, he did not put their children to death, but did as is written in the, book, in the law in the book of Moses, which Yahweh commanded, saying, Fathers shall not be put to death for sons, nor sons be put to death for fathers, but each shall be put to death for his own sin. Moreover, Amaziah assembled Judah and appointed them according to their father's households under commanders of thousands and commanders, uh, commanders of hundreds throughout Judah and Benjamin. And he took a census of those from 20 years old and upward and found them to be 300,000 choice men able to go to war and handle spear and shield. He hired also 100,000 valiant warriors out of Israel for 100 talents of silver. But a man of God came to him, saying, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you, for Yahweh is not with Israel, nor with any of the sons of Ephraim. But if you do go, do it, um, if, excuse me, but if you do go, do it, be strong for the battle, yet God will bring you down before the enemy, for God has power to help and to bring down. And Amaziah said to the man of God, But what shall we do for the hundred talents which I have given to the troops of Israel? And the man of God answered, Yahweh has much more to give you than this. Then Amaziah dismissed them, the troops which came to him from Ephraim, to go home. So their anger burned against Judah, and they returned home in fierce anger. Now Amaziah strengthened himself and led his people forth and went to the Valley of Salt and struck down 10,000 of the sons of Seir. The sons of Judah also captured 10,000 alive and brought them to the top of the cliff and threw them down from the top of the cliff so that they were all dashed to pieces. But the troops whom Amaziah sent back from going with him to battle raided the cities of Judah from Samaria to Beth Horon and struck down 3,000 of them and plundered much spoil. Now it came about after Amaziah came from slaughtering the Edomites that he brought the gods of the sons of Seir, set them up as his gods, bowed down before them, and burned incense to them. Then the anger of Yahweh burned against Amaziah, and he sent him a prophet who said to him, Why have you sought the gods of the people who have not delivered their own people from your hand? And it came about as he was talking with him that the king said to him, Have we appointed you a royal counselor? Stop. Why should you be struck down? Then the prophet stopped and said, I know that God has planned to destroy you because you have done this and have not listened to my counsel. Then Amaziah, king of Judah, took counsel and sent to Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, the king of Israel, saying, Come, let us face each other. And Joash, the king of Israel, sent to Amaziah, king of Judah, saying, The thorn bush which was in Lebanon sent to the cedar which was in Lebanon, saying, Give your daughter to my son in marriage. But there passed by a wild beast that was in Lebanon and trampled the thorn bush. You said, Behold, you have defeated Edom, and your heart has become proud and boasting. Now stay at home, for why should you provoke trouble that you, even you, should fall in Judah with you? But Amaziah would not listen, for it was from God that he might deliver them into the hand of Joash, because they had sought the gods of Edom. So Joash, king of Israel, went up, and he and Amaziah, king of Judah, faced each other at Beth. Shemesh, which belonged to Judah. And Judah was defeated by Israel, and they fled each to his tent. Then Joash, king of Israel, captured Amaziah, king of Judah, the son of Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, at Beth Shemesh, and brought him to Jerusalem, and tore down the wall of Jerusalem from the gate of Ephraim to the corner gate, four hundred cubits. And he took all the gold and silver and all the utensils which were found in the house of God with Obed-Edom, and the treasures of the king's house, the hostages also, and returned to Samaria. And Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, lived fifteen years after the death of Joash, son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel. Now the rest of the acts of Amaziah from first to last, behold, are they not written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel? And from that time 
And from the time that Amaziah turned away from following Yahweh, they conspired against him in Jerusalem, and he fled to Lachish. But they sent him after Lachish and killed him there. Then they brought him on horses and buried him with his fathers in the city of Judah. We'll turn now to Matthew chapter 22. Read verses 35 through 40. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. If you would now please turn to the back of your bulletin, we'll read together as a congregation Psalm 141. Psalm 141. O Lord, I call upon you. Hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart incline to any evil, to busy myself with wicked deeds in company with men who work iniquity. And let me not eat of their delicacies. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. Yet my prayer is continually against their evil deeds. When their judges are thrown over the cliff, then they shall hear my words, for they are pleasant. As when one plows and breaks up the earth, so shall our bones be scattered at the mouth of Sheol. But my eyes are toward you, O God, my Lord. In you I seek refuge. Leave me not defenseless. Keep me from the trap that they have laid for me and from the snares of evildoers. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by safely. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. We return to 2 Chronicles. The last time we were in 2 Chronicles was July 24th. Let's bow in prayer. Now, Father, we come to hear your word. And we thank you that your word is powerful. It accomplishes that for which you send it forth. So we pray that you would work in our lives as we hear what you have to say, that we might be molded into the image of Christ. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Put me like a seal over your heart. Uh, Put me like a seal over your heart like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. Jealousy is as severe as shield. Its flames are the flames of a fire, the very flame of Yahweh. Many waters cannot quench love, nor will rivers overflow it. If a man were to give all the possessions of his house, all the riches of his house for love, it would be utterly despised. We have a little sister, and she has no breasts. What shall we do for our sister against the day she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we shall build on her a battlement of silver, but if she is a door, we shall 
we shall barricade her with planks of cedar. I was a wall, and my breasts were like towers. Then I became in his eyes as one who finds or gives rest, peace. We get up early at our house because we live in accordance with Ecclesiastes 12. We're falling apart. And so we can't sleep in anymore, so we're up with the birds like Ecclesiastes 12 tells us. And uh, I asked my girlfriend, Alexa, (laughs) to read for us whatever the Bible portion is for the day, and uh, we read from the King James. And the King James is just an absolutely fabulous translation. It has a cadence that makes it readable, unlike modern English translations, except our ears aren't attuned to that anymore. And uh, there's lots of words in there we don't use anymore, so we don't like to read from it. The other thing about the King James, it is blunt. The Bible is quite graphic. And in our translations, we move to get rid of that. So I was reading a book of uh, one of the men that I like, becoming one of my new favorite authors. And he was talking about, fifth, about Philippians chapter 3. And that Paul says his righteousness is like dung. Well, that's not what it said in the book I read. He said his righteousness is like crap. Now, that, that's a little harsh, but even that doesn't go far enough, does it? So in the Bible, the human body is uh, something to be admired, and from it we've derived all kinds of things, uh, you know, having to do with putting things together, a motherboard on a computer, so forth, all all those sorts of things. One Sunday years ago now, I used, uh, I was reading from Ezekiel chapter 16, and I read a graphic description of a woman who's described as a whore. And I got a phone call after church saying to me, You read that for shock value. And I said, Yes, sir, I did. And that's why it's in the Bible. It shocks you. It wakes you up. It makes you think, what am I really like? Well, uh, we're coming to 2 Corinthians chapter, Corinthians, Chronicles. By the way, did you know that the next psalm sing is on February 29th? Yeah. Uh, we're coming to Second Chronicles chapter 25 today. If we do a chapter a week, then it would take us 12 weeks to finish off Second Chronicles. And so my goal is to be finished with Second Chronicles by the day I retire, which is the end of July. Maybe before. Todd Adams, I thought you were my friend. (laughs) Remember, Chronicles is one book. We've divided it into first and second. It was on one scroll, front and back. And Ezra and Nehemiah were companions with it as post-exilic writings. So First and Second Chronicles come at the end of the Hebrew Bible. 
It is a history of the kingdom. From the covenant God made with David through the building of the temple with its sanctuary and then going through all the kings from Saul at the end of 1 Corinthians, Chronicles chapter 10 and then starting in chapter 11 all the way through the end of 2 Chronicles we are talking about David and his sons. And uh, in the book of Kings, the sons are compared to David. In the book of Second Chronicles, that happens once or twice. But what they're compared to is Solomon in a certain fashion. Because God is looking for a whole heart. And the word whole is that word Solomon. Shalom. And it's a word that means rest. It's a word that means peace. So if we were to summarize it, then we would say, well, what God is looking for is a heart in man that rests in him. We read, uh, our Hyde read to us, chapter 25, and we're a little bit shocked in the first part, in verses 1 through 4, we have uh, about the reign of Solomon and the consolidation of his kingdom and the uh, capital punishment on the two men who put his father to death. And we're noted of Deuteronomy chapter 24, 16, where we're told that a father cannot be put to death for his son nor a son for a father, but each will be put to death for their own sins. So in the Old Testament, particularly in Deuteronomy, of course, we have a listing of capital crimes where capital punishment is brought to bear, such as murder, such as adultery, such as kidnapping. If in the United States we were to stone everyone who had committed adultery, we'd cut our population in half, I'm sure. Something like that, who knows? But at any rate, uh, we're told that Amaziah, which means something like Yahweh is strong, or Yahweh has been strong, or the might of Yahweh, it's the putting together of the word Strong and the word Yahweh. We're told that Amaziah was uh, 25 when he became king and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem and his mother was Jehoadan. And his mother's name, so his name means Yahweh is strong or the power, the might, the strength of Yahweh. His mother's name means Yahweh delights. Now, we're not given these names just because, you know, it's a record and you put names in it, because every word of Scripture is inspired. They're, they're there for a reason. And what we discover in the reading of the passage is that Amaziah really doesn't think Yahweh is strong. And what we discover is Yahweh, well, he doesn't really delight in Amaziah. So there are these two wonderful names. They'd be great names for kids. But uh, Amaziah lives in such a way that his name and his mother's name don't measure up to what they're supposed to be. And so we have to think, you know, just, just a little aside. When uh, we make disciples... We baptize them into the name, singular name, and then the name flushes out in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So everybody who's been baptized in this room was baptized 
into that triune name of God. You have that name on you. You are a walking, well, people can't see the name printed on you, but that's what you are. You, are, you belong to Jesus, to the Father, and to the Spirit. You carry the name. And the third commandment is you're not supposed to lift up that name in a light manner. So we walk around, and uh, we forget sometimes that we belong to God, and we think, and we feel, and we do things that are not right. But fortunately, God is gracious, and we come and confess the sins we know of, and then God graciously forgives us not only those sins, but the sins we didn't even know we committed. But some people rarely confess who say they're Christians, and some people rarely think about God who say they're Christians, and some people almost never read God's Word who say they're Christians. And so they're walking around in danger, and they don't even realize it. Because the one who lifts up the name of Yahweh, their God, in a light manner, is guilty. And that's what Amaziah did. So we're told that Amaziah reigned 29 years, and he did what was right in the sight of God. Well, now, that then gives us some hope, doesn't it? Because when we start pointing the Scripture at ourselves and letting it do its work instead of smushing it out, we feel like failures. Amaziah did what was right in the sight of God. Yet, not with a whole heart. God wants a whole heart. A heart that's devoted to Him. Well, in the Bible, I started out with... Uh, well, can I say it this way? Canticles 8 instead of Song of Solomon 8? Canticles is music. Canticles 8. And it's the end of the book. It's just this passion running all the way through the book. And then you get to the very end, and you get verses 6 and 7, which are quoted at a lot of weddings. And then a description of a girl who, whose brothers are caring for her, looking for the day when she will be spoken for. And they want to hand over to the one who speaks for her, a girl who is wholesome and virginal. That's what they want to do. And so there's this description, and it's the description of a city, a wall that surrounds a city. And uh, if she is a wholesome girl, then they're going to build up these battlements on the wall of silver. And if she looks like she's straying, they're going to block all, up all the gates to come into the city. And then she says, I was a wall, and my breasts are towers. And so I became in his eyes as one who finds peace. Now, it's uh, not a coincidence that the Bible ends up in the city of God. And the city of God is compared to a bride coming down out of heaven for her beloved. And it's not uh, surprising to discover that the walls of that city are 144 yards thick. Nobody's going to penetrate that city is the point. It's a safe place. There's no sin there. All the dogs and the liars and so forth, they're outside, outside the city. 
So in Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, this thing called marriage becomes a picture of a relationship with God, and it becomes a picture of coming close to God. When you come down to Joash and Amaziah, that's the picture that's there. So we want to become people who are wholehearted, that is, as it says in Psalm 1, I delight in the law of God. In the law, I meditate day and night. When a young man gets a fancy for a young woman, we all can see what's happening. And they think about each other all the time. Right? Then they've been married for a few years and they don't have as much passion as they did when they first got married. But they're given to each other. They're devoted to each other. And that's the picture of the church being devoted to Christ. And Song of Solomon, Canticles, is written about God's people and God. So in the Old Testament, that would be Israel and God, written in temple imagery, because the temple, the uh, tabernacle, again, is a, is, is a picture of a body. And two people come together. A whole heart, then, is a heart that is devoted to God. And if we compare it to Canticles, to Song of Solomon, then we're supposed to be like the psalmist who yearns for God, like a deer pants for water. And so when it says, well, Amaziah did what's right, in the sight of God, yet not with a whole heart. Well, now, we want to, how, how, how flabby can your heart get? Because he seems pretty bad. The second section in uh, chapter 25 deals with uh, going to battle. He's getting ready to go to battle. And so what he does is he doesn't take a census. That's not the word. He musters an army. And so he goes through Benjamin and Judah, and he musters an army. And there turn out to be 300,000 select men who can go to battle from the age 20 and up and who can handle a spear and a shield. Now, when you muster an army, you muster it according to the Bible. And that is Exodus chapter 30, verses 11 through 16. And when you muster an army, then each person passes by and gives a half a shekel of silver according to the shekel of the sanctuary. And they drop it into a box and you're just all walking by, and all the money's dropping into the box, and it's for atonement. It's for redemption. Well, that money then is used for the upkeep of God's house where he lives. And that's what you would think Amaziah is up to. He's going to muster an army, and all this money's going to come in, and uh, you can see... It, it, it's 300,000 shekels of silver. The atonement is because you're going to go out and fight for God, and when you fight for God, you're going to be doing something you're told not to do, which is you're going to take lives. And so you pay a ransom because obviously your life is also the life of a sinner. And you deserve what God's army is giving to other people. So you pay this half a shekel of silver. That's what he did. Then he said to himself, Self, you know, we've got a big battle ahead for these Edomites at the Mount 
of Seir. So I think I'll hire some help. So he went to hire a mercenary army from the northern kingdom, from Israel. And he gave 100 talents of silver. Now, I don't want to go through all the calculations, but what I want to suggest to you, which certain commentators say, no one can prove it ultimately, and I wouldn't bet my life on it, but I'm pretty sure that when he gave 100,000 talents of silver, he was giving the money that was raised by the muster. It belongs over here at the tabernacle, but it's put over here to hire an army. So we see that this man who is doing what's right in God's sight, well, his heart's not quite right, if I'm correct. He's taking muster money, and he's using it for a different kind of project. So, a man of God comes and talks to him. And he says, don't take Israel with you because God is not with them. And yes, you're correct. That is the root of Emmanuel, God with us. But God is not with Israel because Israel is an apostate nation founded on idolatry with two golden calves, one on each end of the country that the people go to worship. They still claim Yahweh's name. Yahweh still calls them his people, but they're not looking to Yahweh, and so he is not with them. So, he says, you know, if you're going to go, well, do it. Be strong. Fight the battle. But God will bring you down. For he has power to help and he has power to bring you down. Well, you know, most of us are concerned about our pocketbook a little bit and uh, uh, all these shekels for, with which he's hired this army. He, he, what, what about the 100,000 shekels of silver? Well, the Lord has much more to give to you. Well, the way that uh, Amaziah lived, of course, he didn't get the much more. And so you see the opening of the chapter, and he's doing the right thing. He's, he's uh, listening to the law of God. Because it was customary in those days not only just to kill a father, but to kill his whole family, or at least his sons. That way there wouldn't be any rival, anyone to come back at you. But he doesn't do that. He follows the law of God. But his heart is not spread out all the way for God. And so he decides he's going to extend his kingdom. He's going to go fight the Edomites. And that's what he does. He goes to fight the Edomites and he's going to take an army with him. But just as we've seen with other kings of Judah, they want to pair up with Israel or even someone else when God is not with the person, the, the country they pair up with. And we're reminded of this in a kind of fashion in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 where we're told not to be unequally yoked now, how you apply that, of course, uh, that takes some discussion. Does it mean you can't go into business with someone who's not a believer? That, that takes some discussion. But one thing we know for sure, it means that you cannot be yoked as a believer to an unbeliever. 
Well, that happens a lot, and it happened a lot in Paul's day because the gospel is flowing. You have all these pagans out there, and the gospel comes to town, and uh, the wife or the husband believes the gospel, but the other one doesn't. So now they're unequally yoked, and of course, it creates conflict. Well, so he's not supposed to be unequally yoked with Israel because God is not with them. And the implication is, Amaziah, God is with you. Well, so he listens. And he sends the troops of Israel, the mercenaries, he sends them back home. And they become angry, fiercely angry. Well, now, why would that be? Well, of course, the money is uh, probably not given to each of those individuals. It's given to the king of Israel to come up with this troop. And so they get no benefit. They go back home. What they're looking for is the benefit of the spoil. As we've been reading in Second Chronicles, we discover that when God routes an army, you get the spoil. And now they're not going to get the spoil. So what do they do? Well, when Amaziah finally comes out to war, they go down to some cities that are described as being in Judah. They're actually in the territory of Israel, but the cities belong to Judah. And they raid those cities, and they kill 3,000 people, and they gain much spoil. So his, uh, his actions, that is, Amaziah's actions, cost 3,000 people their lives because he was, a, he was foolish. He did not take counsel. He didn't get advice. He hired an army when he could have, should have, consulted God first. Turn, if you would, to Second Chronicles chapter 10. in the wrong place, as usual. Well, I'll just speak of it from memory then. Second Chronicles chapter 10, verses 13 and 14 are the section of when the kingdom is passed from Saul to David. And it's passed from Saul to David because God put Saul to death because Saul did two things. Jealousy is as fierce as Sheol. What Saul did is he became unfaithful. It's called a trespass, but it means unfaithfulness. When you come down to chapter 36 of 2 Chronicles, the whole nation goes into captivity because the official of the priests and all the people became unfaithful to Yahweh. And he sent messengers and prophets because he had compassion on the people. And they despised the prophets and mocked the messengers. And he gave them word, God gave him the word of his time after time. But in the end, there was no remedy. He sent them into captivity. So God reaches out, reaches out, reaches out. And pretty soon, God has had enough of that. And he sends them into captivity. So in 2 Chronicles chapter 25, we're making our way down the sections. And in 2 Chronicles chapter, 10, chapter 25, verse 11, it says, Now 
Amaziah strengthened himself and he led his people forth and went to the Valley of Salt and struck down 10,000 of the sons of Seir. So Seir and the Edom are the same thing. The sons of Judah also captured 10,000 alive and brought them to the top of the cliff and threw them down from the top of the cliff so that they were all dashed to pieces. That sounds like a war crime, doesn't it? Okay, so now if you think through the Bible and you think about Israel coming into the land and what happened in Jericho, everyone is going to be put to death. Man, woman, beast, baby, all put to death. They are a sacrifice to God. And don't misunderstand me when I say this now. Uh, I, I, I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't have rules against war crime. Don't, don't hear me say that. But it is a little bit funny, isn't it? Because when a nation goes against a nation, they, they're wanting to take it over. And Russia right now wants to take Ukraine over, and they don't care what they do. They're going to do it. And we're talking about war crimes here and there, but that's just what happens in war. And we've come to a day when we think the innocent people in the war are not going to be killed. But, of course, that's impossible. It's just going to happen, especially when you're using bombs and stuff instead of swords. You know, you can poke your sword into the right person, but your bomb... <laughs> Sorry, that didn't sound very good. But your bomb, that, that's a different story. So it does sound uh, harsh, but that's what they did. So 20,000 people are killed, 10,000, I assume, by sword and spear, and then another 10,000 of the sons of Edom are thrown over a cliff and uh, dashed into pieces. You see that kind of language, by the way, at the end of Psalm 137, We've read it, uh, where the children of the nations, their babies are going to be dashed against the rock. Again, that sounds terrible. That may be uh, a metaphor, however. So at any rate, so he strengthens himself. He has asked the Israelites not to come to war with him, and he goes to war, and he has a victory. And then uh, verse 13 tells us about the troops that, uh, well, he's gone to war. They come and they get the spoil that I'm assuming they think he's robbed from them. Then look at verses 14 through 16. Now it came to pass, <clears throat> and it, now it came to pass, uh, after Amaziah came from uh, slaughtering the Edomites, that he brought the gods of the sons of Seir, set them up as his gods, bowed down before them, and burned incense to them. Then the anger of the Lord burned. The love is as strong as death jealousy like the grave. God's anger burned against Amaziah, and he sent him a prophet who said to him, Why have you sought the gods of the people of his, his, that he was not able to... Why have you sought the gods of the people who, have not deliver, who has not delivered their own people from you. So this is just pure logic, isn't it? You go and you have this big victory, and then you say, hey, let's take their gods home and let's worship those gods. Well, people have gods to protect them, and their gods couldn't protect them, and now Amaziah is 
is causing God to have burning anger because he's worshiping other gods that God has just defeated. And it came about as he was, uh, and it came about as he was talking with him that the king said to him, have we appointed you as a royal counselor? How'd you become a counselor to me? Did we appoint you? Stop. And how would you translate that? Shut up. Why should you be struck down? In other words, if you keep talking, I'm going to kill you. Then the prophet stopped and said, I know that God has, uh, I know that God has planned your destruction because you have done uh, this and have not listened to my voice. So you have one man of God, one prophet. The man of God is listened to, but you get a hint he doesn't like what he's saying because of the 100,000 shekels of silver. The prophet comes and... Amaziah tells him to be quiet, and if you keep on speaking, then I'm going to kill you. So, Amaziah is a man who does what's right, but not with a whole heart. And you're looking down the, the, the chapter, and you're saying, whoa, looks like he's really bad. Then in verse 17, then it says, Then Amaziah, king of Judah took counsel. Now, he just won't take the counsel of the prophet, but now he's going to take other counsel. And he sent to Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, the king of Israel, saying, come, let us meet face to face, is what it really says. Let us face each other. So you've got a face to face meeting. And Joash, the king of Israel, sent to Amaziah, king of Judah, saying, The thorn bush, which is in Lebanon, sent to the cedar, which is in Lebanon, saying, Give your daughter to my son in marriage. But there passed by a wild beast that was in Lebanon and trampled the thorn bush. And then he's going to tell him, you need to stay home. Lest you bring trouble on yourself and trouble on your people. Stay home. But Amaziah is not going to listen. So they're going to have a face-to-face meeting. Now, if you look at this, this is language that comes right out of Genesis. So you have... Thorns, and you have trees. And you have a thorn bush and a cedar tree. And my translation, the New American Standard, says a wild beast. Maybe yours translates it correctly, but it's a beast of the field. So in chapter 3 of Genesis, here's this serpent that is more crafty than any beast of the field. So here's this beast that's coming, and you got a thorn bush, and you got this big cedar tree, and the thorn bush, this little scrappy little thing, which speaks of God's curse, is saying to the cedar tree, Hey, give your daughter to my son. Now, what is Amazon wanting to do? Well, he's wanting to meet face to face. Go up to Israel and conquer them. He wants to invade their territory and take it as his. And the cedar tree is saying, that's not going to happen. You're just a thorn bush. You're just a curse. And... You're not going to have my territory. No, instead, if you persist, I will have your territory. This is why I brought up Song of Solomon. 
and the end of Revelation. This is the imagery here. We're talking about a marriage. And when you go conquer a city, you've penetrated the city, and the city becomes yours. That's what Joash wants, and is put in marital terms. Well, he won't listen. So first, there's a man of God. Second, there's a prophet. And now there's somebody else telling him the truth, and God's not even with that person, but he won't listen. And so he goes up, and they fight at Beth Shemesh, the house of the sun. So you have this picture. All the lights come on, and you can see exactly what God's going to do. And what does God do? He defeats Amaziah because he won't listen. And because he's sought other gods, just like Saul. He sought after other gods instead of having a whole heart that seeks the Lord God. And so Amaziah is taken captive along with other hostages, and Joash comes down, and here's this city of Jerusalem with this nice big wall around it, and he tears it down, 400 cubits of it. And the portion that is torn down is the portion that faces Israel. Israel has penetrated the city, and now it's theirs. They have it, and they've stolen from it all of its treasures, both in the king's house and in God's house. And they've stolen some of the people, and they have taken them home because Amaziah won't listen. And so... Amaziah is taken off captive, and we can't quite exactly uh, get the history order correct because we're not, we're not given enough data. But it looks like he's captive uh, in Samaria for some time, maybe till the time of Joash's death. Then he comes back and reigns another 15 years, and during this 15 years, the people of Judah, some of them are just sick and tired of Amaziah, and so they conspire to kill him. He runs off to Lachish. They track him down, and they kill him, and they bring him back, and they bury him. Well, it says in the city of Judah. If you looked in Kings, it would say the city of David. He's buried with the kings. Now, his father, who was awful, was not buried with the kings. They didn't deem him worthy. But here we have, here's a man who does right, but not with the whole heart, and you see all the way he will not listen to God, and he brings trouble on himself, trouble on his people, trouble on his city, all the, uh, all the spoils of Jerusalem are lost, people are lost, and you get down to the end, and he's buried as a king who has honor. Now, how do you figure that? That's why I said, it gives us some hope because we realize that one day we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we're going to give an account to Christ for everything that we've done in these bodies, whether good or bad. Now, he's going to judge us with mercy, but we're going to give an account for everything we've done and we're going to be rewarded just so. I don't know about you, but that makes me a little uneasy. And then I read Amaziah, and I say, whoa, he did what was right in the sight of God, but not with a whole heart. And at the end of the chapter, he's buried with honor with the kings. God is looking for a whole heart and he's looking for us to cling to him like a husband and wife come and cleave together for the rest of their life. And he's looking for us to not seek elsewhere like Saul, like Amaziah who sought other gods. He's looking for us to be faithful to him a whole heart. Now, of course, chapter 25 is not about us, but 
it's applicable to us because chapter 25 with the rest of the whole book is showing how God's people became unfaithful with him. And we have, and we're out of time, we have so many warnings, so many warnings in Scripture. Romans chapter 11, where you're grafted into the olive tree, but we're told we can be taken out again. We have Hebrews one, two, three, four, five extended severe warnings. We have Second Peter. We have Jesus' statement about the vine. Abide in me or you'll get cut off and burned in the fire. We have so many warnings. Now, we do believe in eternal security. We believe that when we're born again, then that's not going to change. But there are warnings that we need to take seriously. Not that we're going to fall away, but like Amaziah, without a whole heart, we could get ourselves into severe discipline. So I just leave it at this. What's the message of the chapter? Seek God with a whole heart. Let's stand. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for our Savior who, uh, well, he bore our sins in his body on the tree. He who knew no sin became sin for us. The one who had no sin in violation of Deuteronomy 24, he was put to death for other people's sins. And we thank you that because of him, you have accepted us and we have boldness to come right into your presence. And so help us to be people who realize the grandeur and greatness of what you've given us in Christ and help us to be like Hebrew says, people who draw near to the throne of grace to find mercy and help at just the right time. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen.